This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. I wish I was Channy, but I'm not Channy. I'm Sonia Shaw. Um, are you guys ready for some astrology for radical self-acceptance? You were born for this? Yeah. So um, there's a couple of housekeeping things I'm going to read and do a little intro to Channy, and I'm going to be your sort of host and MC for tonight. So, Yeah. So, my name is Sonia Shaw. I'm an associate professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies, also known as CIIS, and the initiator of a community-based organization called the Ahimsa Collective. Um, And it's my great pleasure to welcome you here tonight to this event with Chani Nicholas, Astrology for Radical Self-Acceptance, and serve as the MC. As you may know, CIS is a university located at 10th and Mission, here in San Francisco, and for more than 50 years, it's led the way in transformative education. Um, You can learn more about CIS on the web. Now we're done with the formalities, and I'm really pleased to introduce Chani Nicholas. Um, I first met Chani 10 years ago when she was a student at CIS getting her Bachelor of Arts degree. I had the privilege of being one of her professors for a number of her classes and witnessing Chani's brilliance as a writer and astrologer before she became the Chani Nicholas, who has changed the landscape of astrology. Tonight, Chani has done something, or today, Chani has done something radically new. She's made astrology relevant and accessible for our generation. Every week, Chani gives us a gift, mapping and making meaning of the sky as a way for us to reflect on our life's purpose and direction in a very real social context. And Chani's brilliant book has allowed us something rare, access to knowledge. Because of Chani, we can now make meaning of our birth charts and have more agency and power over our own lives. And in our most personal hour, all of Chani's tireless, soul-churning writing gives us a structure to understand our fears, our joys, our woes, our shame, and our grief. Lucky for us, Chani has manifested what she is born for, an incredibly gifted astrologer to guide us personally, politically, and professionally through this moment in history. And in this era of deep suffering, of loss, of environmental degradation and injustice, where people feel a sense of meaninglessness, Chani teaches us how the planets can help us understand systems of oppression and how we can manifest justice, healing, love, and radical self-acceptance in our lives. So it's no surprise that Chani has a community of over one million monthly readers and that she's been a counseling astrologer for more than 20 years and that Chani's been featured in some of the most influential media platforms across the nation. But what I love most about Chani is that she's not afraid to be fierce and she's not afraid to be accurate 
And she's not afraid to be so deeply magical and bring the divine to life. So before Chani comes out, so I'm just going to take a moment to tell you what's going to happen. Um, Chani will have some opening remarks and then be in conversation with the amazing, esteemed Fanya Davis. Yep, give them snaps for that. And then I'll come back out and we'll do some interviewing and some questions. So please welcome the gifted and brilliant Chani Nicholas. San Francisco! Oh my goodness. Sonia, thank you so much for that. Um, It's a lot. So I'm going to start with a land acknowledgement. I just want to say that this is from the Girls Rock Rock Camp Alliance, and it's adjusted as needed. Yes, Girls Rock. Um, As many of us are settler immigrants or descendants of those forcibly brought to this continent, we recognize that our evening and our gathering takes place on occupied, traditional, unceded Ohlone lands. We honor and are grateful for the land and recognize the ongoing damage of settler colonialism. To recognize the land is an expression of gratitude and appreciation to those whose territory we are on and a way of honoring the indigenous people who have been living and working on the land from time immemorial. It is important to understand the long-standing history that has brought us here and to seek to understand our place within that history. Land acknowledgments do not exist in past tense or historical context. Colonialism is a current, ongoing process, and we gather and build while being mindful of our present participation. It is also worth noting that land acknowledgement, that acknowledging the land is is indigenous protocol. (laughs) So I think tonight we'll be talking a lot about the outcome and the the fallout of, of those systems that we live within with our incredible guest and her incredible chart. Um, but just to say that, um, <laughs> that uh, San Francisco, the land, the people, and my experience here. I'll probably cry a lot through this part, but I probably won't cry that much after it. So um, I write about it in the book, but it just, it shaped everything about me. Um, the, specifically the staff at CIS and the BAC program, Yeah, just incredible facilitators, incredible educators, specifically Sonia Shah, Targo Mespas, Zara Zimbardo, and Kathy Littles. Yes. (laughs) And so many other people that were in the staff and just around had this incredible ability to be both astute in their observations, really, at, really radical in their, in their approach to education, and also just compassion beyond what I had ever experienced. And to have people 
hold both the truth of how we got here, who we are, what that all means, and everybody's kind of imploding, exploding um, ideas of self and emotional reactions to really kind of digging into the muck and the mud of the pain of those systems that we come in and out of. Um, to give us the academic framework of that in a, in a really rigorous and beautiful and, again, astute way, and then to simultaneously hold that with so much compassion and really to hold us all with such perspective. Um, just really changed me. I was really yearning for that. And I I tried to look for it afterwards, and I didn't find it necessarily. I dropped out a lot of grad school programs because of it, because I couldn't find that magical formula that the BAC program had. And it was there that I wanted to start to write. And what I knew how to write, the framework, the framework that I had that I knew how to write within was astrology. Uh, But I had to incorporate all the things that I was learning. And so everything came from my time at CIS in the BAC program with those, with those facilitators, with those educators, with those professors. Um, so anything that you like about any of that stuff that I do, really the seed was planted here. And it um, has, you know, then it was also well watered while I was here. And there's so many people in this room and beyond this room that also housed me and like held my hand and listened to my complaining. And San Francisco in and of itself has been this place of incredible friendship for me. And I know in the core of my being that queer community here and radical community here and activist communities here are the reason why anything in my life worked in the beginning. Because I know that it was through the people that I met here, through the networks that I made here, that that the writing piece for me took off. So always in my heart, I'm saying thank you to you. I thank you. I thank you so much for coming tonight. I know how hard it is to leave your house. (laughs) To put on pants. Socks and shoes. Like, it's a whole deal. Um, and I know how tired, I know how all the, the work that, that everybody in this room is doing and all of the healing work and all of the organizing work and all of the art that the people in this room are making that you are making. I know also how much that takes. And so when we gather collectively, it's such a precious thing. And I'm always so moved that people want to come out and do this with me um, because I know how much you're giving to the rest of your life. And I also just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your labor. Thank you for your heart. And thank you for your generosity um, in your own work, but also with me and this book. You cannot celebrate a book alone. So you're here in the celebration with me. Um, I also want to thank the people that put this event together, the staff at CIS, and also the people who set up this room and who will clean it up after anybody who's doing childcare for you while you're here, um, and definitely all the volunteers. So I just wanted to give a big shout out. So I wrote a book. Um, 
And it's, it's really was, I just wanted to write an intro book. Like I just, you know, when you have the thing that you just keep saying to everybody because they like, well, what, how does this work? And you're like, okay, I just need to like write it down somewhere and then I can get on with the rest of my life. So this is just, this is just supposed to be an intro, right? Like it's, I'm just trying to crack the door open so that we might all have a little bit more access more than the signs that our stuff is in. Um, I wanted to just be like, hey, also, what about the place that it's in? So I'm really just trying to move the needle of the meme conversation online. <laughs> I love memes, don't get me wrong. I think there should be a museum for memes. Um, but I'm trying to move the needle of the conversation so that we can be like, oh my God, I'm a ninth house son too. I want to tell everybody everything. Um, you'll get that joke once you read the book. Uh, <laughs> and it just so happens we're having like a very 12th house moment here. Um, because of the topic, because of our, again, incredible guest that's here. And also, we were starting to have these conversations earlier at the other, at the earlier event about this part of the chart. And so each part of the chart, each house, is a different domain of life. And they cover the gamut of life experience. And to be a human and to live a life is a gruesome, beautiful, horrific, gorgeous event. So we have to go through all of the houses in the chart to exist fully. And sometimes people get very afraid when they see that they have planets in a really difficult part of the chart. And so part of what we want to talk about tonight is what does it mean to have planets in a difficult part of the chart? What does it mean to have planets that are blessed and have their own kind of like thing going on in a part of the chart that's really difficult? And what does it mean to be able to shine a light or give care or connect with people in a place where folks are really struggling? And so I'm hoping that this conversation also helps us to feel less afraid <laughs> of the hard stuff and also gives us uh, more access to wanting to connect, actually, to those more difficult pieces of our chart. Because I think if we do that, and, and more difficult parts of self and life, I think if we do that, then, then we can live more freely and be more present and kind of give, be more, maybe even more generous with ourselves in the moment, because we're not, like, trying to only make it into the good places. <laughs> So when I was thinking about the book tour, I wanted to go to these cities that each city I'm going to, except for Portland, but don't tell them, <laughs> I have a good connection, I have a, like a relationship with and a really special relationship with. I'm sure Portland is totally great. I just haven't been there. I've only been in the airport and it was kind of weird. It was very great, but I'm sure it's going to be awesome. And I'm from like up there, but in the Canada side. Anyways. I wanted to go to each city and talk to a person from that city that was a part of that city, whose life and work had impacted that city, whose art had shaped that city, whose activism had been part of the movement and the current of what the city was in need of and what was needed to be addressed there. And so I started talking to all the amazing 
faculty members that I knew from my time here, and I was like, I need, you know, to talk to somebody. Who do you think? What do you? And Sonia was, Sonia Shaw was gracious enough to introduce me to the legend, the icon, Fania Davis. And I was like, do you think she'd come and do this thing with me? Um, and so through talking with Fania, um, she graciously accepted. And um, I'm really excited to share her chart and her journey with you. So I'm going to read you her bio because I know you all know her and what she does. But Fania Davis is a leading national violence is a leader on national, leading national violence on restorative justice, a quickly emerging field which invites a fundamental shift in the way we think about and do justice. So I also want you to think about like key words here that will come up in the chart reading. Restorative justice is based on a desired set of principles and practices to mediate conflict, strengthen community, and repair harm. She's a longtime social justice activist, civil rights attorney, restorative justice practitioner, writer, and scholar, and a PhD in indigenous knowledge. Coming of age in Birmingham, Alabama, during the social ferment of the civil rights era, the murder of two close childhood friends in the 1963 Sunday school bombing crystallized within Fania a passionate commitment to social transformation for the decade, for the next decades, she was active in the civil rights, black liberation, women's, prisoners, peace, anti-racial violence, anti-apartheid movements. After receiving her law degree from the University of California, Berkeley, in 1979, Fania practiced for some 27 years as a civil rights trial lawyer. During the mid-90s, she entered a PhD program in indigenous studies at the California Institute of Integral Studies, and apprenticed with the traditional healers around with traditional healers around the globe, particularly in Africa. She received her PhD in 2003. Fania has been engaged in a search for healing alternatives to adversarial justice. Yeah. She has taught restorative justice at San Francisco's New College Law School and Indigenous Peacemaking at Eastern Mennonite University Center for Justice and Peacebuilding. She writes and speaks on these subjects. The search for healing justice also led Fania to bring restorative justice to Oakland. Uh, the form, a founder and the former director of restorative justice of Oakland Youth, Joy, Fania served as a counsel to the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers, numerous honors. Her numerous honors include the Ubuntu Award for Service to Humanity, the Dennis Maloney Award for Excellence in Youth Restorative Justice, Ebony Power 100. The Los Angeles Times named her a new civil rights leader for the 21st century. Fania's research interests include race and restorative justice, social justice, restorative justice, and exploring the indigenous roots, particularly the African indigenous roots of restorative justice. Please give a warm welcome to our guest, Fania Davis. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Please have a seat. Yes. Oh, they want me to sit I, here. Are you, are you here? Okay. Wow. Welcome. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for for 
being, I know it's like a vulnerable seat to be in. in yes. And also unknown. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, and also like you're lending your name to being up here with an astrologer. So I appreciate that. <laughs> it's always a risk. <laughs> I trust you implicitly because I trust Sonia Shah so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's good to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much to talk about in your chart and in your work. And is there anything that I left out in the land acknowledgement or in the beginning that you want to fill in or say anything about before we get going? No, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. yeah. I... I do that, that whenever I speak, and um, it's incomplete for me if I don't do it. So, yeah, just thank you. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Okay, so okay. let's start at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to start the chart by, or sorry, I like to start looking at the chart by looking at the ascendant. Because if we're thinking spatially, and I I do think this is an important piece of whether or not you use astrology in the book, in the way the book outlines, or whether or not you you use it as a way even to understand your life purpose, I think our relationship with the sky is really obscured. Yes. It's obscured by light pollution, and it's obscured sometimes by fog, but... But we're kind of divorced from a lot of our relationships with nature. Oh, yeah. And we know that anybody traveling without an iPhone or GPS or a map needed the sky in a lot of ways. Not always. Like, there was also landmarks. But we did need the North Star to know where we were going. Oh, yeah. Yes. My people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so our relationship with the sky, of course, is very ancient. And I do think it is, in a way, there is a decolonizing factor to kind of re-engaging with the way in which nature shows up for us. Absolutely, yeah. So the rising sign is really about that. It's about the moment you take your first breath or the moment the being takes their first breath. Mm. The, it's, it's thought that the soul is saying, like, yes, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long, like, however long I'm going to be here, five minutes or 85 years. Yes. But I'm saying yes. And so at that moment, astrologers look to the eastern horizon. Mm-hmm. And they look to see the sign that was rising up over that horizon. Because that's the point at which the sun rises and the stars rise and the moon rise. And so it's the rising up of life. Mm-hmm. And in the opposite horizon, we have the downward movement, and that's the entrance into the underworld, and that's the place in which we go down under. So it's that great journey. Mm-hmm. And so when we say, like, my rising sign is, we're really talking about that mark in the sky where we said, yes, I'll come in. Mm-hmm. I'll try this out for a minute. <laughs> yeah. And so your rising sign is Leo. That's the sign that oh. was right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've already got some fans. <laughs> they all definitely have Leo rising also. <laughs> yeah. And they probably they're gonna go on social media and be like, Fonnie Davis and I <laughs> have Leo rising. <laughs> so the, the sign that's rising tells us about the motivation for living the life. 
and the thing that we might want to be known for. And so Leo's a fire sign. Mm. It's, it's passionate. Mm. It's really good at making its point through performing or through being in some way entertaining or captivating. Like fire itself, people are drawn mm. to fire. Mm-hmm. The warmth of it, the glow of it, the dance of it. And so when somebody's marked with a fire rising sign, especially Leo, there's a need to self-express. Yes. There's a need to let that fire out. How does that show up for you? Um, it's, it's right on point. Um, I always wanted to be a dancer when I was growing up in the South. Yeah. Um, but given the time that I came into, it didn't seem like the right thing for me to do. Or it, yeah. it, It's just that I was sort of imprinted by all of those experiences in the South, which we'll t- probably talk about in a yes. little bit. In Birmingham, Alabama, uh, during the time of apartheid and racial terror, uh, I couldn't see my way clear at that time yeah. to becoming a dancer or an artist. Mm. Um, I realize now that that was a false dichotomy, mm-hmm. uh, but only after law school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all that suffering. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But my daughter became an, uh, an artist and mm. is doing that. She's 48, mm. and she's been doing it since the time that she finished school. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Um, and how do you, how does the, that creative energy work in your life now? Where's the creative self-expression? Um, I was just talking to a dear friend, friend of mine who's here today, Oweli Makeba, incredible performer, storyteller, actress. You met her in the green room. She read, <laughs> she she read the dedication yes. to the book yeah. in the most incredible... I was That's... mesmerized and I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> That makes sense. She's, okay. I didn't yes. Know. Yeah. So, um, we were just talking today or yesterday um, about how I can incorporate more of the body and um, the spirit and movement yeah. into my speaking. I, I do a lot of speaking now that I've retired as yeah. director of Our Joy. Yeah. And we were talking about working with some of her children on a a truth, a racial healing and reparations piece. And I said, hmm, I'd love to see what they come up with because, and I'd love to see how it informs uh, my work and especially the speaking. Um, And I just, I love dancing. Mm. Um, I love beauty, you know, in my home, uh, art and Yeah. yeah, so. It's very much a part of who I am. Yeah. yeah. Even though it didn't, hasn't directly expressed itself uh, you know, culturally and mm-hmm. aesthetically in the work uh, that I've chosen to do in my life. Yeah. Yet. 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 Mm-hmm. The night is young. The night's very young, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking also like 
leader of the oppressed, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So right on the ascendant, like right coming up, we wouldn't have been able to see it, but it was there, is the... Is the, it's a minor planet, but it's very important when it's right at that point where we say yes, that marker, right. is, the, is the planet that's named after Chiron. Mm. And Chiron is known as the wounded healer. Yeah. But what Liz Green writes this really great piece on astro.com about it, and she says, Chiron was a, a great healer, was the teacher of all the healers, was the master teacher. Mm-hmm. And Chiron was a really great teacher before he was wounded. Mm. And he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. And then he, was, he had this gash in his leg and it never healed. Mm. And so at once it does talk to the ever-bleeding wound mm-hmm. that always informs us. Mm-hmm. It does speak about the need to engage with healing practices. Right. It does talk about being a, being a teacher and having, having that kind of mentorship kind of uh, experience with people. But it is also about the chaos of humanity and the, the unpredictable, unfair, unreasonable, and inexplicable harm that, that some people live through. Mm-hmm. And so when it marks uh, something as essential as the moment where you take your first breath. Mm. Mm. We know that there's something really important about what it means to heal. And Chiron's also the root word of chiropractor. Huh. Mm. So it really is about the body, mm. the spine, the healing, mm. the being connected with the body. Mm-hmm. And so when we meet you, when we meet your chart, we see this fiery, passionate self-expressing, also leading with confidence and heart. Leo rules the heart. Mm-hmm. And so there's got to be like a dynamism to you. Mm-hmm. Great hair, you know. Like the whole- <laughs> you got some of that rules. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the need to be a kind of leader, like Leo's that kind of feeling of I'm the central force and I've, there's something in this life that I need to be leading. Mm -hmm. And we also meet this mark of possibly experiencing the kind of um, pain or disruption to life that is unfair and unsensible. Mm -hmm. And through that, because your son is also very close, which we'll get into next, but through that, what what do we make of that? And what kind of a, a life do we make from that? Mm-hmm. So when I listen to your story and I listen to your, your, the stories from your childhood, which yeah. definitely speak to that, mm-hmm. just there's no, you can't say like all things happen for a reason. And there's, you know, a re, you know that some things are just shouldn't have happened and mm-hmm. are yeah. so yeah. unfair and so yeah. unjust yeah. that they're beyond, you can't rush, there's no rationale to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I read the, the, you know, the parts of your story where you are a lawyer and you are you know, f- in the fight and doing all of that. And then I write this part of your story where that turns. And I thought both the beginning and that turning point sounded very much like Chiron to me. Mm. Do you want to tell us, does that resonate with you when I say that? Um, 
When you talk about the turning points, yeah. yeah. So, so what uh, Chani's referring to is that uh, we referenced my uh, being born and coming of age in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, during the time of racial apartheid there. Um, my house was atop Dynamite Hill. That was the name of the neighborhood that I was born into uh, because of the frequent bombings um, by uh, Ku Klux Klan and white hate groups uh, who were trying to terrorize black families who had recently moved into this previously all-white area. And living in a place like this, you know, um, where the social messaging is that you're inferior, you're subhuman, you know, you don't deserve the parks and the amusement parks and the theaters. Um, and we didn't have those as children growing up because of segregation and racism. Um, and uh, being born into this racial terror, you know, my church, uh, the lawyer right across the street from the church who was, a, who was a civil, the leading civil rights lawyer who worked with uh, Thurgood Marshall at the time. Uh, and then, of course, there were many bombings, but the most famous one is the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing uh, where I lost two close friends, Cynthia Wesley and, and Carol Robertson. And um, so the entire experience of growing up in Birmingham and... Uh, created this deep yearning within me to be a warrior for justice and effect. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that's what I had to do in life mm. from a very early age, to create a different kind of world. And I left um, Birmingham with a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. um, anger at you know, the loss of my friends. Anger you know, at the injustice, everyday injustice that we lived. And then... When I left the South, um, my then-husband uh, and I were working with... Well, I should say, first of all, after leaving Birmingham, I was on this path, and I joined every movement uh, of my time. Uh, civil <laughs> rights, uh, black student movement, black power movement, black panther movement, women's movement, later uh, peace movement, later anti-apartheid movement, and socialist movement, and... Oh, you, you name it, I was involved in all, all the movements of my time. <laughs> and then, you know, my uh, then-husband and I were working, we moved from the South to San Diego, mm. and we were working with the Black Panthers. Mm. And um, not long after, the police invaded our home and, and um, shot him, mm. um, I haven't told this story publicly, I don't think. I, I jumped on the back of the officer who had the gun trained on my husband. Um, and I, I jumped on his back and then knocked his arm up the wall. The first bullet went into his arm and exited just millimeters from his spine. So he, he's fine now. Um, and the rest of the bullets went up the wall. Um, we were charged, though, with uh, attempted murder of police officers. The charges were dropped. We had a really um, courageous judge because he dropped the charges once the DA re-indicted. He dropped the charges again. This happened one more time. And that judge ultimately had, his career was just, you know, ruined wow. because he was so, so, so courageous and integritous. Um, 
And then my sister, just six months later, Angela Davis, you know her, right? (laughs) 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 But Angela, it was just six months after my ex-husband was shot and almost killed that Angela uh, was uh, the subject of uh, the, the, an infamous um, FBI uh, search. And so she was underground for three months. And she was facing capital charges of murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy, you know, facing the gas chamber. Um, so I, I did a lot of work around that. I, I traveled all over the world because um, I knew, I, again, I, it, it was just something I knew I had to do. There was, I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to, you know, uh, complain about it. It was just what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And then um, I became a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, because the lawyers in Angela's case were so incredible. Civil, they were incredible civil rights lawyer, and they inspired me to do it. So I fought racism in the courts. Mm-hmm. So the long and short of it, Sandy, is that after almost... 27, 30 years of fighting um, in the movements, fighting in my sister's case, and uh, fighting in the courtroom. Yeah. Um, I, I became ill. Yeah. And somehow I knew intuitively that I was being invited to bring more healing and creative and spiritual energies into my life, um, that I had too much fire <laughs> and I needed water, mm. you know. I had hyper-masculinist, hyper-rationalist, aggressive energies. I was required to cultivate these energies in order to be a successful trial lawyer um, and activist. And I I, um, shut down my office um, and um, found out about CIS. (laughs) (laughs) And I chose, I was looking, you know, I, I knew that I needed to completely changed my life and, as I said, bring more healing and creative and spiritual energies into my life. And I thought I might go into a PhD program, and I started looking at PhD programs in the area. And I think I went down to, I I won't name the places that I went, but I I went to a couple, and even though they had really alluring names that sounded like they were, (laughs) you know, not not going to be the same. Good branding. Good branding. Um, I came and, and met people, and when I saw them, it was like I could just see that they were talking heads. I, I didn't see any body engagement, you know, I didn't see any spirit. Mm. Um, and I knew, I said, no, I, I, that's what I have too much of. I need to. Mm. <laughs> and then my yoga teacher told me about CIIS, and he, he was a physicist, and he he's, was doing a talk on science and spirituality, and that really, you know, struck me. And, um, and the rest is history. I, I, I ended up um, enrolling in the, then I think it was called Traditional Knowledge Program, and later it became the Recovery of Indigenous Mind Program. Mm. And I was able to study with healers from all over the world, especially in Africa, a Zulu chief healer, Mike Chiron, the mm-hmm. chief healer. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so that's just the ascendant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> But I, I want to mark, I want to like dog ear the like had too much fire, had to move to water because that's a cue for what's coming next. But I just, I want to read, usually I read from the book, but I'm going to read actually what Liz Green said about Chiron. And I want just to think about what Fania just shared about us, with us and that Chiron is, is 
that she walks into the world with it because it's there mm-hmm. that said yes mm-hmm. to the, I will come in and ex- do both be the experience, experience that and also find a way to work with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we may need to rail against life, but if we are not to sink into a corrosive bitterness, which can ultimately make us distorted and ill, mm-hmm. we need to move beyond this phase of Chiron's rage into the quest for understanding, which takes us beyond identifying with the scapegoat and the victim and beyond attending inclination to play the scapegoat ourselves. This understanding may require us to dispense with previous spiritual and moral convictions and find a broader base from which to view life. Chiron's main question is, how do we bring our wounds to consciousness? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so your son, your the ruler of your ascendant is the planet that rules the sign that your ascendant is in, technical. But the sun rules Leo. And so that planet steers the direction of your life. And so we want to know, well, where is that planet? And, of course, your sun is also in Leo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay. And it's sitting right with Chiron and the ascendant. So you were born at sunrise, and Chiron not only marked your ascendant, which is a point of saying, I'll come in, but also the sun, which is a point of saying, this is what I'm here to do. This is my life's purpose. Wow. Is to shine as myself, is to shine with this Mm -hmm. fire and this sense of purpose and confidence. And Mm -hmm. also when the sun's in its own sign and also in the first house, there's there's a kind of vitality that might make someone be able to travel around the world and jump on a police person's back. <laughs> Not, I can't say that I would have done the same thing, although I wish I could say. But, you know, like there's, a, there's the central thing is heart and courage. Hmm. And to lead with that, that's part of your life purpose, we could say, hmm. is to be here. Well, okay. To do that, to illuminate that. Hmm. And also, Mercury is there, so the talking of it, the teaching of it, mm-hmm. the telling the story. Mm-hmm. And I think also you said at this phase in your life, you're more about the telling of the story and, and at speaking engagements and all of that, so your Mercury really gets to come in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a theatricality to it. There's, a, there's also, you've, you know, there's another reason why I'm going to say this in a second, but there's, I mean, all of that's very, it's, that's all, it's big. You know, like you didn't have like a mild life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's still, there's still hope. There's still a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but on the other side of your sun, we see Pluto, which is the god of the underworld. And really, we can see Pluto in a lot of different ways. It, it gives us an access to an incredible wealth and power, personal power. It also, I may have, got, may have got some of the latter, but not too much of the former. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wealth in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But also, Pluto is the, the monsters mm-hmm. that live under the surface of things. Mm-hmm. They are what we, we are afraid of, what's underground, what's in the closet, what we can't know because it's hidden. And so, you know, would you say that part of your life purpose was to all of these things, shine, self-express, be courageous, understand what wounding is, what healing is, but also to be the one who's going to address the monster or 
address what society calls monstrous. And so how we label who is the... Yes. And what is the underworld? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why has, it, why has it been relegated to underworldness? Mm-hmm. And, you know, possibly you might have been involved in the hiding, the underworld, the, you know, having to go underground. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of that's also there. Mm-hmm. So not everyone with Sun conjunct Pluto will have that experience, but you did. And so we can look retrospectively and be like, well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because of those experiences, then I want to go to, so that's all very like self-contained in there in the first house. It's all about what you need to address as yourself, as Fania, as, you know, your own human being. And and then also there's a piece of that of needing to live your own life and Mm -hmm. be your own person and... You were also involved in all these movements and a lot of stuff happening around you. So I don't know if sometimes it felt like, I got to be me too. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's Definitely. the dancers still there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then we go to the moon. So the sun is life purpose. The ascendant is the yes, the motivation to living. The moon is how we live out our everyday life. So we see in Fania's chart that the sun is in its own sign, and we know, like, ding, 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 that's, like, going to be a really potent part of the chart because a planet in its own sign is like, a, is like when we're at home uh-huh. and we're, like, we have ice cream and a pizza and a good movie and our friends are coming and the dog is fed and, like, we, we're happy because we're in our element. Yeah. That's what a planet's like at home. It's like, I got this. Mm-hmm. And I got all my things and I'm good. Mm-hmm. So you have the sun, the sun in its own sign, and then you have the moon in its own sign. And the moon is, again, body and how we live out everyday life. Mm-hmm. And this is the part where we will get now into the 12th house. Okay. So <clears throat> the moon in its own sign is really a, a, a marker of somebody who has an emotion, a capacity for holding or accessing emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And you say the moon and its own sign. So, so the- sorry, moon and cancer you have. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> New fan base. <laughs> yep. So I'm going to read a little bit about what the book says, and we'll see if it resonates. So in cancer, in its own sign, the moon feeds the masses. Here the moon is strong, extreme in its significations, and undeniable in its power. The moon in cancer needs to nourish others as much as others need its nourishment. To feel safe in the world, moon in cancer develops emotional bonds, and many, in many cases, ones that feel like family. Security comes through connection to others, but can also come at a cost. This moon can lose itself in the role of caretaker, forgetting that its own needs are as valid as anyone else's. Extremely sensitive, empathetic, and intuitive, you'll most likely pick up on and hold the unprocessed emotions of others. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Learning to release the energy that you have absorbed from others is a life-saving tactic. And a lifelong learning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the Cancer Moon. Okay. Your moon resides in the 12th house. 
The twelfth house represents what is hidden from view, secret, and unknown to our conscious awareness. Those with the moon here may be drawn to unpacking the secrets of family, culture, and society. With the moon in the house of hidden projects, part of how the life's purpose gets lived out may be by doing behind-the-scenes work and projects in private, by being in studios and dark rooms or in places of isolation that also serve as creative incubators. This moon may need time alone to process emotions. Your self-care system might require that you retreat and refuel because part of the chart also, because this part of the chart also speaks to the sorrow, loss, self-sabotage, self-undoing, and all the aspects of self that we tend to want to forget, refuse, or put out of sight. The moon in the 12th house speaks to one's experience with suffering. This may be inherited from a parent or caregiver, symbolic of their struggle, or in the family line. Self-sabotage might be a common survival strategy as a Paradoxical as that sounds, but eventually Moon in the 12th house needs to learn ways to heal the past so it can access the incredible creative wealth that gets bound up by, un- by unacknowledged pain. The 12th house is a part of the chart that deals with incarceration, mm-hmm. isolation, mm-hmm. and institutions, mm-hmm. which may be part of your direct experience or that of your parents or caregivers. You may have an ability to get into places and do important work where others are incarcerated, locked away, or removed from society. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. mm-hmm. It's just what the book says. <laughs> so not only do you have your moon here in its own sign, and because the 12th house is a place that so many of us fear, because it's where we lose everything. Mm-hmm. It's one of the parts of the chart where we do. We lose agency. It is a place where, or where we are working with folks that have lost agency. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't a sense of being in control of what we want to do and how to do it. And in those spaces, we learn a lot of things, sometimes quite unfairly. Sometimes if it's a part of our own journey, it can be about learning how to submit and be vulnerable mm-hmm. and be open to a process, mm-hmm. to be open to our own suffering and what it means to hold that. Yes. And when you have, so there's, the moon is in its own sign. So you know that the person who owns this chart is going to have an ability to go into spaces that other people want to refuse even exist. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to look. That's where we put people away. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to deal with it. They deserve to be there. End of story. Case closed. Mm -hmm. But this moon needs to go in. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's sitting with Jupiter and Venus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you have Jupiter and Venus together... There's really nothing more auspicious of a mark. Yes. They are the two planets that bring love and luck and abundance. Mm -hmm. Jupiter brings wisdom, is the great teacher, Mm -hmm. is the healer, Mm -hmm. is the one that knows how to hold space and to keep, knows where to go to expand a little bit Mm -hmm. in places that feel crumbled and crushed Jupiter goes, but there's a little bit here, Mm -hmm. and I've got faith in the process. Mm -hmm. And when you have a planet exalted 
it makes that whole paradigm of life all the more rich and accessible. A planet that's exalted? Yeah. So you have Jupiter and Cancer. So that's a planet that's like up high on a pedestal. But it's in a pedestal in a place that nobody wants to go in. (laughs) Uh Where we're like, (laughs) where that's that's what we don't want to do. That's bad, that's wrong, that's... And then you've got Venus there. Mm-hmm. And Venus is a planet that goes, I-, I can help by connecting. I can help by building relationship. Yeah. And so Venus and Jupiter are this little team, and they're both ruled by the moon, and the moon's there in its own sign. So this is a huge mark of wealth. And when I saw it, I cried because it's wow. so beautiful. Oh. There's so much compassion and Ability. So when I read the piece about the moon and cancer, it's you, all that comes, that water. So cancer is a water sign. Yeah. And when you said you needed the water again, yeah. and what I know from your story is that you came and you went to CIS and you started to study indigenous ways of working and then restorative justice came in your life. Right. right. And so if we're looking in the place of incarceration... And we're looking to see the best setup that you could possibly have in that place for compassion and understanding Mm. and healing and nurturing and nourishment Mm. and water. Thank you. That's it. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So does that resonate? Not at all. <laughs> yeah. no, thank you. It's, you know, that gives me a lot of um, strength to hear you speak these words. And, and um, it's very affirming. Yeah, yeah, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that part of your work has been to open, open space where there was none. Mm-hmm. And so... And also, I just want to say, the ruler of your fifth house of children oh. is, in, is Jupiter in the 12th house of incarceration. Uh, and you... Work with children. Yeah. 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 And so, again, I wanted to come to a city and talk to a person that, whose work had made an impact in this place. Mm-hmm. And so your work with youth in Oakland, mm-hmm. but also nationally, mm-hmm. what was the... What was that... Do you, is there anything you want to say about doing restorative, restorative justice work with youth? Um, yeah, just very briefly. Um, as I mentioned, uh, going through what I went through as a child uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, on Dynamite Hill, um, just uh, um, planted this seed within me. And... I, and that was to um, be a warrior, right, yeah. for justice. Um, I, and, and so everything that I did, you know, leaving Alabama, uh, was, was uh, to, to, to walk this path, you know, and all of the movements that I was involved in. And I went to law school and became a lawyer because I thought I could be the most effective agent for social change uh, by doing that. And I did it for 27 years. <laughs> and 
I didn't feel like I was being very effective as an agent for social change. And I saw what was happening to our children. Um, the gun violence, the abuse, the, you know, having, at the age of 17, having been to more funerals than we at 70 go to, um, uh, seeing the school-to-prison pipeline, six-year-olds being escorted by police in, um, in, 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 in handcuffs from classrooms, arrested for assault after a simple temper tantrum. And uh, there's just so many horror stories. And with the school, school should be a place that is the safest place, the most nurturing place. And it, it, it's the it's 12th house space yeah. Yeah, for our children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I looked at that and said, I'm not being an effective agent. So I need to be out there with, with those young brothers and sisters. That's where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, when I shut down my office the second time. Mm-hmm. Because I, I reopened it when I came back from Africa and right after I got my lottery because I couldn't find a job mm-hmm. you know, that would pay me to do healing work mm-hmm. at the time. It's, mm-hmm. Things have changed since They've then, changed. though, quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's in 2008, I shut down the law office and, and well, I founded Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth mm. uh, in 2005, and then I became its director a couple of years later. Mm. It, was this, it was like, yes, when we were growing up in Alabama, children, it was hard for us as children. Mm. But what I saw today, what I see today for our children, yeah. it's, it's just even worse yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we see that Cancer, Moon, and then the Jupiter, and then the Venus all gathering together to to really need to give give something nourishing and give something mm-hmm. life sustaining. Mm-hmm. And because it does rule, it rules the fifth house. Jupiter rules the fifth house of children in your chart, and mm-hmm. Venus rules the third house of of like our younger years in school. And so it rules like um, primary education and elementary education. And okay. so when you're working with kids and interrupting the prison to yeah. the school to prison pipeline, it's yeah. like all of that's connected to your 12th house work and right. the moon really needing to give a lot. Right. And there was an ancestral energy here too because yeah. my mother um, mm. taught uh, first graders and second grade. Uh-huh. She taught them how to read, and she devoted her whole life to early childhood education. And she was one of the first African American women in the South, in, in, in Alabama, to get a graduate degree in early childhood education. So I felt when I left the law practice and started working with children in schools that, in some yeah. ways, I was, I was. Um, I mean, she was rejoicing. Let me yeah. just put it that way. Yeah. Because she was a real believer, like most black people, mm. in the power, the liberatory power of education. Yeah. Um, and it started with slavery, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so I, I would think when I saw the, the, the way the school to prison op- uh, pipeline was operating on a daily basis in schools, mm-hmm. I'm thinking my mother is turning in her grave. Frederick Douglass is turning in his grave, you know. Yeah. You know. yeah. Schools have become... Um, uh, pipelines to violence and incarceration, right. not liberation. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> when when you have Moon Jupiter, also it signifies usually a parent that has a lot of wisdom, or is also quite a big figure in one's psyche and life. And especially when you have a Moon in its own sign, 
It's like the mark of what you learned from that parent is quite significant. It's all there. It's all there. Oh my God. <laughs> that is That's amazing. all I want you to know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I was sitting back there thinking about how we need a 12th house support group. Yes. So. <laughs> Those of us that live in that place. So. When, can I do this now? Yeah. She's supposed to be interviewing me, but watch this. Uh-oh. Uh, Sonia, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> Sonia gave me her chart a couple of days ago. And lo and behold. Lo and behold. Wait, but first we need to say that you are not only an educator at CIS, not only one of the reasons why I'm here, but you also please tell us, run, facilitate, create, direct, an organization. done restorative justice yeah. work in, both inside and out yeah. for a good decade, yeah. more. For a good decade. A decade. Yeah. And your organization is Ahimsa? Yeah. Ahimsa now, which does? It does all kinds of work kinds. with healing She's and like, justice oh with people yeah. who are in the most severe place of trauma and violence. Yeah. Yeah. So... Sonia is also a Leo. <laughs> Son in the 12th house. So when we saw Fania's 12th house with the moon in its own sign with Jupiter and Venus, it's just like this outpouring of care and connection in places where the most amount of harm is done. And in Sonia's chart, we see the sun shining in a space that doesn't get seen even. And so the way in which we need to take up space is always shown through the sun. And what, is it, what does it mean to have these planets in such strong situations or such in, inside of their own domain in a place that's really challenging? And what does it mean to be able to bring in whatever our skills and capacities are into places where, where there's a lot of suffering and also maybe loss of agency and power and incarceration and whatnot. So not only is the sun there, but also the ruler of Sonia's ascendant, Mercury is also there. And so when I was her student, I remember hearing about restorative justice work and I was like, what is this? This sounds incredible. I need to know more about it. So CIS was my introduction into the work. And with Sonia, I went in to San Quentin. We did restorative justice training and circle there. And then I also, um, through her, started doing yoga inside as well. And I remember a story that she said, that she told us, where she was doing a lot of creative writing and all of that. And then, Such bad writing. Oh, no. Impossible. But that when you went, when you finally went, or when you got to teach folks that were in, in that were incarcerated, yeah, that you felt like something, like you were like, oh, this is something more. So finding where we want, where we shine is like, it's those, and I love astrology as retrospective. Mm-hmm. Because I think you can really be like, oh, yeah. So it's not like I'm telling or someone's telling you what to do. But to look back on your life and be like, that was a thing that really, like, had energy and it woke me up and I felt a connection with it. And then it developed. I kept following that thing and it developed into this whole other piece. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that totally resonates with me. And you can tell that 
Channing's going to be like impossible to actually <laughs> ask her any questions about her. I'm an open book. No, that's so great. And even though narcissistically, I might want to hear more about myself, mm-hmm. about myself <laughs> and how amazing my chart is. <laughs> I, I think everyone else here wants to hear about you. So. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so transitioning into that yeah. a little bit. But you love to talk about the work. I love to talk about love the work. Love to talk about the work. It's so exciting. So tell me about, because we were talking about this, tell us about what it's like for you to do this work. How, like, what does it take for you personally, spiritually, and laboriously? Yeah. Like, physically, like, sitting yeah. there and writing to do this work. I think when we had the phone conversation, like, a week ago, I think what... I think we need to really be having conversations, and I've had conversations with people in this room about the same thing, is that the work is 90% totally unglamorous, really struggling. I, you know, anybody who puts words on a page in any capacity probably is also listening to a nattering self-doubt system. Um, and also, it's very lonely, to do creative work or to create curriculum, to create anything, that you're doing that mostly alone. And so a lot of it is me struggling against all the distractions of the day, trying to carve out time to do the work. Mm-hmm. And that's really the biggest piece of it. Demetra George, my teacher, is always like, the hardest part about writing a book is carving out the time to do it. And I really, after doing it, I'm like, ah, oh, that's really true. Because <laughs> you have to not see your friends and you have to cancel the not go to the party sometime. You know, like there's a lot of me that I don't get to also engage with because I've chosen the work instead. And that's okay. That's my choice. And as my wife constantly tells me, I'm not allowed to feel sorry for myself if I've said yes to something. <laughs> And I think that's a really big part of it. I think that if you really want something, if you want to make something manifest, I don't have children and I'm not going to do that thing. So I've got to take care of the thing like it's like it's going to keep me up till three in the morning. And that's just got to be okay with me. It's going to get cranky and it's going to get sick and other people aren't going to take care of it the way I want them to. And I'm going to have to do all the stuff. And so it's like the taking responsibility for what I've said yes to Mm -hmm. and then caring for it to the best of my ability is really the the baseline of everything. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, mostly about consistency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people might think that you have this ginormous team. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Tell us how big your team is. How big is your team? It's me. Uh, my Sonia, my wife, does. she's the overseer of everything. Um, she, you know, gave this book the format that it has. I wrote everything I knew, and then she was like, uh, that's cute. But we actually want people to A, read it, and B, understand it. So she's able to, you know, do all that stuff. But she also has a full-time job. Um, and we have one full-time person mm-hmm. and a couple other people that, like, fill in stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you just give us this gift beautifully <laughs> every day um, through all of your work. So you wrote this book. I wrote a book. wrote a book. Um, and you have this amazing title. Yeah. You were born for this. Uh. Um, and about sort of this acceptance of astrology for radical self-acceptance. So 
Why is radical self-acceptance so core to your work? I think I really learned that, again, at CIS. Mm -hmm. Because when I came into the BAC program, I was like, oh, my God, I want to be all these things. Like, you do restorative justice. Other people did all this, like, art activism work. It was so, I was so enthralled by so much of it. And then I, again, tried, attempted many, three times to go to grad school programs and it was all disastrous, and I dropped out of all of it. And it was, I was talking to Targal Mespa, who, again, another uh, educator, uh, professor here. And she was like, you know, why don't you just do the astrology? Like, <laughs> you could just do that. And I was like, it's not enough. And she was like, it is, because you're enough. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> She's here somewhere. I'm telling you. I was just so, I was just so cared for, I felt. Um, and it was, we were in the hallway at CIS, like up on the top floor where we had a moment. And Monique Lassar also had conversations with me about it. And I just didn't feel like enough as a human being. So I didn't know that what I would do would be enough. I was looking for some outside accolade or title or degree to give me a sense of feeling enough. And when she gave me that permission, I think I dropped out like the next week. And then I was like, okay, what if, what if, what if? And I just, I, and I encourage anybody who's in that place of, of kind of severe self-doubt or what have you to just give yourself a moment of like, what if? If I could suspend my disbelief for a moment and maybe give myself a year to work on something and just give it my all and pretend like maybe this could happen. And that's really what I did. I was in an apartment on Laguna Street and I just put it all up on my wall. And I was like, this is what I want to be able to express and, and put into my work. And it was all the parts of me. And I just left it up on my wall. And I still think about it mm -hmm. to this day. Like I still see those words and I still feel that seed of it. But it was, I really needed Targal at that moment. <laughs> she was there. Yeah. yeah. And it gets back to that notion that it's like nothing happens in isolation. Nothing, nothing. Community yeah. and interdependence creates yeah. this condition for you to be who you are. Yeah. And, and I think being with some, because in the BAC program, you have like different cohorts. So you have different teachers each, each semester. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so seeing all these different women, queer folks, just like being brilliant and like really teaching from a place of both lived experience and knowledge acquired and again with compassion and just excellence, mm -hmm. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I really needed those examples. Yeah. I felt like it really helped me grow up. Yeah. I feel like you give us way too much props. I don't, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, I didn't have it anywhere else in my life. Yeah. And so yeah. I came, and there was just like a plethora of it. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so I, this is like a question I've been dying to ask, yeah. like all night, well, from this morning, just about, um, like, I feel, I feel like what you do is magical. It has magic. I feel like there's mysticism and divinity in it. I feel like you tap into something that's like there, but deeply like subtle and unconscious. And you write about it and you bring it to life mm. in a way that we can all access. 
Mm. Um, and I feel like it's like this soul-wrenching work that you mm. do. And so I'm just curious about what I, sh- I think that stuff about you, but I'm curious about what your relationship is to like magic and mysticism and divinity. And do you think your work is in that sphere somewhere? Well, I think of magic as nature and being in deep relationship with nature. And, and again, to have a relationship with the sky is to have a relationship to astrology, to have a relationship with planets. And planets are rocks. Mm. You know, like, so when you're, like, obsessing over the, which crystal to buy or whatever, there, there's, like, an association to a planet. And when you start to see the world, it's kind of, like, a little hyper um, uh, finicky maybe, but to see the world and like, oh, that's a Jupiter thing or that's a Venus thing or that's a Saturn thing, black. (laughs) And and to see that and to know, to have that relationship then to call on those elements when in need or for the parts of my chart that I struggle with, then I I I can use the magical properties of nature to balance things out. And I've found the more relationship I have with the, with the elements and herbs and, and all the th- times of day, days of the week, all the stuff, it's like, oh, the whole thing. Like a lot of us, I mean, I think most of humanity came from frameworks of like relationship to times of day, to mm-hmm. the qualities of light, mm-hmm. to the qualities of herbs, to the qualities of an animal we had to kill and eat or whatever. Like all of that was... We were in it, and maybe that's what we would call magical now, but I think it's just very human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's what I feel. And the alchemy of pain, you know, like the alchemy of like addressing suffering in myself, I think is, a, is an act of faith. And also, I think that's where the magic is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, I have like 5,000 yeah. directions of things I want to know. <laughs> um, so, like, at the same time that you have done this alchemy, right, um, there's this way that you interweave, you know, systems of oppression and justice and healing into, like, everything that you mm. do. And so how or why or how did you get to that place of being able to speak to power in the way that you do? Why is that core? Well, I went to this program called the BACCIN. (laughs) And the whole program was to guide you through, to bring you very, not sneakily, but kind of, like this process of like, this is you, this is community, this is the globe. And you know, like to guide you through these, this is how we are located in both self and community and the world. And what do you want to do with that? <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to write horoscopes that have that in it that wasn't that concrete, but it really was that. Yeah. And it, it was, wow. of course, awakening an earlier education that I had had and a lot of the stuff that I'd read and been a part of over the years. But you cannot... Like, if we're going to talk about astrology in terms of our experience, you can't ever divorce that from the reality of our lived lives and the systems we live in. And, oh. and also to honor the part of us 
that's beyond that mm-hmm. and to hold those in balance. Mm-hmm. So, so what were some of those pre-CIS like <laughs> formative experiences for you that were like, ooh, the same oh, experience that you yeah. say, well, when Targol said that. Yeah. Like that moment that something really yeah. fundamentally shifted for you. I grew up in the base of the Rocky Mountains in a small town called Nelson, British Columbia. And we didn't have, we still don't have chain stores there. Like there's no McDonald's. There never will be. It's a very like, it's, it's a mix of uh, intense partying and in, in, intense like counterculture politics. It's a lot like San Francisco. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I came here, I was like, oh, I know this. Um, and... I remember being, I was part of like environmental movements when I was a teenager. My dad was a logger and I was like, that's wrong. But then also he left and Mm -hmm. so I was there and I could see the parts of the mountain that my father had clear cut. Because there's a weird thing with loggers. We're like, I did that. You're like, I don't know. That's a good thing to admit to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, and he was also a tree planner before that. It's a strange mix, but... (laughs) My uncle told me a couple of years ago, he was like, you remember that time when he's, my mom's side of the family is from New York. And he was like, you remember that time we were grabbing a slice in, I think in San Francisco. He was like, and you, and you know, like a New Yorker took a wad of napkins and started to dab <laughs> the oil off the slice, as you do. Always. It's a thing. Come on. And I was like, how dare you use all those napkins? They come from trees. <laughs> he was like, oh my God, lady, like... You're 14. I was like, oh, so I've always been like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I was always trying to find out on a personal level, like, because I was very sensitive to injustice and not being, not being witnessed because my story is one of neglect. So I think I was always like, who's, what's happening here? Who's to blame from that young place? But also, like, what isn't being noticed. And so when I, I think I was always sensitive to the injustices around me because I was like, that's unfair. I felt like my life was unfair. I wanted to also, mm-hmm. I think, so I think it was just instinctual in that, or that's how I channeled it mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Makes so much sense. Yeah. 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 Whew. Yeah. yeah. Um, and moving sort of after childhood, after CIS yeah. into this whole like, <laughs> life of the last 10 years and you found this thing and you nurtured it and you birthed it and you started having people like pay attention. Yeah. Um, You just like, can you talk a little bit about that journey of the last five years of what it's been like to just sort of be like, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. What has it been like for you? Um, It's been mostly in a cave, right, (laughs) (laughs) or recording. Um, When I met my wife, Sonia Passy, we were, like, working on a thing. It was, like, one in the morning or something, and I just remember having this moment where I looked at, this very early in the relationship, I looked over at her, and I was just like, oh, my God, she works as hard as I do. (laughs) And I think it was just, like, that synergy of finding someone that would not give up and would push till we found the thing that needed to be put out or she'd stay up and edit and all the things. And so it was really like we had this new thing, this raw material, and 
she was, again, it's about partnership so much. Mm -hmm. She would be there with me to be like, okay, let's try to figure it out. And so it was just us being really intensely in that place of needing to, I think we just felt like we needed to build a life really quickly Mm -hmm. together. She's really good at building foundation. And I've just, I was like, what? <laughs> but, okay. Um, I guess we'll get plates or whatever. But, um, <laughs> it's very committed. Um, and she was just like grounded it all. And so through her, I learned how to put it in one place because I'm really good at doubting everything and getting distracted mm-hmm. by that. And so when we met, it was like, I, ha- I don't know if you've ever had this experience where like, Maybe it's you have a child or maybe it's you fall in love or maybe it's you meet someone or something and you're like, I need to show up for this more than I've ever showed up for anything. And that's what I felt when I met her. And it helped me show up for the work in a way that I wasn't able to before. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I felt called, you know. Mm-hmm. And in that, I felt like this is giving me the ability to be the best version of me that I think I could be. Mm-hmm. So it was love. It was love. <laughs> I heard you say this beautiful thing backstage that the person you were before her was not is not recognizable. Yeah. But this person that you are is yeah. so much also in partnership. Yeah. With who she is. Yeah. Like I quit smoking. Like I don't was only like smoking like one cigarette a week or something, but I was like, okay, that's it. Like it was just like everything had to go. Because I felt like I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't a condemnation. It felt like we were going to build a life together. Mm-hmm. And I've never had that before. I'd never had that with any other human being in my life before. No parents, no other partner. But when we met, I was like, oh, my God, home. Mm. And I just wanted to give that everything. Mm. And so the work is a part of that. And... Um, Everything we do is to cultivate that space and then also to to cultivate her work free from just mm-hmm. works with yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and then that community and that community and her work brings me so much mm-hmm. um abundance. Yeah. So it's like there's just there's so much more than just the work to show up for. Totally. I think is what yeah. it is. It's like all these people and wanting to be connected in those ways. Beautiful. And I think I didn't have that before. Yeah. Yeah. So let, so you wrote a book. Yeah, yeah. You wrote a book. So I guess the question I have is how do you want people yeah. to use that information? How do you want people to use your book? What is the offering that you hope to give to folks in that book? Yeah. I hope that the book is an, is an entry point for you. And that if you see something in there that you, that you, like the book itself doesn't quite give you all the language for, that you go and Google it or you go and read somebody else's book about Pluto in the first house or what have you. Like this is a, this is, it's just an orientation process. Like, okay, we are here. This is that. That is this. And this is how, this is a framework that worked for me and also was part of that radical self-acceptance that when I, you know, when I went to CIS, I was like reading all these amazing essays that all the teachers had curated. And I was like, I think I want to be an essayist. <laughs> so I was like, you kind of how are. do you get paid for that? <laughs> and then I started writing. Um, 
And so when I realized that the ruler of my ascendant, the planet that steers the direction of one's life, was in the third house of writing and teaching and communicating, I was like, oh, this isn't just a thing that I want to do. It's actually here. And what the chart is saying, that this is part of my life purpose. And maybe if I actually believed it and did it and showed up for it. Because the astrology is not going to do anything for you, but illuminate something, right? Like it's, there's this misconception that people are like, you know, just giving all their power away to astrology. And it's like, well, you can do that, but you won't get very far. Because <laughs> like, you still have to do the work. You have to go to therapy. You have to do the job. You have to do the, you know, relationship. Like that's on you. Um, the chart's just pointing to it. So I think that that having that access. And again, that came through working with Demetra George. And, and someone asked me earlier about whole sign houses, which is the way in which I see the chart. It's just a way that works for me. It's a philosophical whole lineage of thought and goes back for a very long, long time. And also other house systems are great. So you can play around with things. And I think that they work together actually quite nicely. But <laughs> I wanted to give, I wanted to write a book just to say like, let's get Let's, let's like lay of the land for a minute and be like, that's what this is. That's what this is. That's what this is. And now we're oriented. And now you can start to build a deeper relationship with that part of your chart. Because that's where the, that's where the, the synapses start to fire is when you understand what moon in the 12th house means. Like an astrologer, you can go to an astrologer and they can be like, oh, in your chart, I see that you could be really great in restorative, have you ever done restorative justice, any of that? And you can be like, yeah, oh my God, that's amazing that this person knew that about me. But what I'm saying is like, it's just a code, it's just a system, and you can have access to it, I think. I think it's actually, these parts of it are straightforward. And if you're building a relationship with that map or with that code, you'll start to be like, oh, also, my moon in the 12th house works like this. Hmm. You know, it also, oh, because the 12th house isn't only about that. It's also about all these other things. So also, you know, I can do this and this. And as I age and grow and heal, there's different ways to use that same part of the chart. So it really is just an intro. And an, I'm hoping to introduce you like, hello, meet your son. <laughs> Rising ruler. Okay. <laughs> no, that makes so much sense. This is a sidebar question okay. for sort of geeky nerdsters like me. Yes. Yeah? Um, because it might Ruger show rising. up in the BAC <laughs> curriculum and I need some more readings. <laughs> but who would be, let's say, your top three folks, astrologers to read? Like you're like, oh, go read these other things and like Google oh. it. Da, da, da. So take oh, notes. That's a great question. Depends on for what. Mm. So... I recommend all of Demetra George's books. She's phenomenal. Chris Brennan has written like a Bible on traditional astrology. Phenomenal. And then I would go a lot of different places because mm -hmm. different types of astrology as different astrologers. Also, Austin Kopek, who used to live here, is phenomenal. Um, those, those people are just so well-versed in their ways of working with the systems, that, the parts of astrology that they're working with, that I would recommend their stuff at any point, at any time. And then there's like a million other. Yeah. There's like Skyscript, which is an amazing website. Deborah Holding, incredible. Yeah. Perfect. That sounds yeah. great. You okay. just gave me like a Thank bibliography you. for the future. <laughs> um, so there's something that you say in your book that I love 
um, about both, like, your chart has power. Like, this work has power, and don't underestimate its power. And also, you have agency, and yeah. don't underestimate. Don't, like, take it all too seriously, right? Like, right. Or not that, just that we have agency, yeah. and also this has power. Yeah. So can you speak more to that, like, the both and of those being true, and how you find yeah. the balance, how you guide people through the balance of, like, their agency, and also this has power? Yeah, like, so... I think that the power of the chart is the way in which it validates our lived experience. And we can recognize the part of us. So you might do work in the 12th house and restorative justice fields, but you also existed there before that. Mm -hmm. And so you also have, you know, for me, it's like Sun Saturn, like, okay, now I can be really disciplined and really great at shaping things. But before it just felt like, a, like ton of lead on me. And so that gets validated for me. And I don't think we should work with anything that seriously that we don't have some respect and reverence for as a system that can work. And at the same time, you can't give, it doesn't have power over you. Mm -hmm. But it points to the things that maybe you don't have power over. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So it points to, it does point to your fate in a certain way. I mean, look at Fania's chart. It's like there's, I don't know how else it's very pointedly uh, aligns or corresponds with her life story that she's shared with us. Mm -hmm. And also what you do with that setup if you're allowed space and time and conscious awareness and mm -hmm. capacity to heal and all of those incredible assets, then that's, that becomes your choice. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. You said something earlier when Vanya was up here about how we live out, we have to live in different houses at different points in our lives. Did yeah. I just hear that? Yeah, you what know, that? that's great. Yeah. How? We're the whole chart. Like right. the whole chart is us. And so you might not have planets in a whole section of your chart, but you have planets that rule that house. And also there's a way... The, there's something called perfections, and that's every year of your life, you op a new house gets opened up. Mm. Wow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so many things to learn. So many so things when to you're learn. 30, everybody's seventh house of relationships, committed partnerships gets opened up. What about when you're 46? <laughs> <laughs> I got to do the math. I can't do it here. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 don't do the math but hold right on. Now. But I will tell you, this is my ninth house year mm. of publishing. Ah. And travel yeah. and teaching and being out in the world. Mm -hmm. And I didn't plan to publish my book on this year. Yeah. So the, the area of life gets opened up and also the planet that rules it. The planet that rules my house of publishing, teaching, traveling, and astrology. It's also the house of astrology. <laughs> That planet's also in my 10th house of career. So for me, I don't know if this resonates, but yeah. it's a year where I might be more out in public and traveling around and talking a lot more and publishing <laughs> things. And it has a lot to do with my career. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Adds up. So I have one more question, then we're yeah. going to move into sort of the... 10, 11. It's your what? 11th house here. It's my 11th house. Yeah. Man, Community, you did that fast. groups, associations, but I have to think. 
Huh. It's your moon, so it goes back to your, and we won't, we I'm won't talk I'm going to re-listen to the podcast to remember <laughs> what you said. Um, so just uh, one more question. Yeah. Well, two more questions. I imagine that when you read people's charts that it's like a lot of vulnerability can come up or like yeah. shame or just like being exposed. Yeah. So yeah, how does that, um, how would you, what would you tell people about like just kind of working with that. I mean, I noticed even when we were talking today and you were like, your moon is yeah. in Pisces. And I was like, ah, you know, don't see me. Ah. <laughs> you know, my I creative like, intuition. My chart. Ah. <laughs> and I wanted to like hide from you. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Aww. I love your Pisces moon. <laughs> oh. Um, just stroke my Pisces yeah. moon. Yeah. Soft. <laughs> um... <laughs> Got no armor. It's just out I know, there. That's why I want to hide. <laughs> and you do work um, with like emotionally vulnerable work. Is Kinda. That right? Okay. A little bit. <laughs> well, when people cry and say sorry, I'm always like, "That's okay. Everybody cries here." Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. There's just a, validating it. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is tender stuff. It's. I stop a lot and ask if it resonates. I'm doing it jokingly, but I do yeah. do it like, what about that resonates for you? And you don't. Ha- and I always say, you don't have to tell me mm-hmm. how it does, but does it? Yeah. And if you want to tell me, you can. Because also, a lot of times, I'm sure many of you do a lot of this kind of work. It's like it's not so important about the story all the time, or you don't. You don't. The person doing the reading or what have you. It's not, I don't need the story, but you do. Mm-hmm. I might need parts of it just to make sure I'm on track, but it's your story. Mm-hmm. And if this system can help to validate your story and why it's been your story, then that's that's the gift of it. That is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I think we have some, we have about 20 minutes and we have some questions on cue cards from folks. Um, and they're, they're like miraculously does. appearing. And what oh. mir- miraculously might appear okay. at the same time are my glasses. Because, <laughs> you know, I can't see very well without We're both them. like that. Now. Yeah. Um, so here's the first question is, how do our intersections of our identities and privilege, race, class, gender, sexuality, etc., impact our understanding of our charts? Curious about this relationship. That's a great question. And even in the, the like, ancient texts, there is a, a segment, at least with one astrologer, I can't remember which one it is, but that said you always take into consideration the human being that's in front of you and their lived experience. So two people can be born at the exact same moment in the exact same place and have very different privileges and oppressions. And you have to, as an astrologer, take that into consideration and also look at the chart and see how, again, while working with folks from their point of view, like how did this land for you? So someone with a lot of fire or a lot of, you know, that need for creative self-expression, were they in a situation, an environment, a world where that was validated? Or was it shunned or was it, or was it um, demonized even? Mm-hmm. Or was your gender something that folks didn't recognize or affirm for you? And that can show up in the chart of 
two different people in two different in two really different ways. Um, maybe the family system did, the outer system didn't, or what have you. But you you have to check in with the human being mm-hmm. that's in front of you and not assume anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a really good and hard question, and I know you speak to it in your book. Mm. Um, so the question is, what if you're adopted and you don't know your time of birth? How can we use astrology? So what do we do with the folk? Yeah. What happens with folks yeah. who don't know their time of birth? Yeah, and it's, astrology is a really unfair, unequal system in that one way. That if you don't know your time of birth, and some people just don't, and that's, it, it doesn't work as well. You can still look at the, at the day, and if the moon isn't too far, in the, too far at the end of a sign or in the beginning of a sign, if it's in the middle mostly, you'll know that. And you can take a look and see the planetary. I, think, I know, I think Richard Tarnas teaches like this in terms of like how, like just really looking at planetary combinations. So you, you just take houses out of it essentially and just look at the way the planets were engaged with each other. And so it's a different way to get this similar information. Mm-hmm. It's not as location-specific, possibly. And then some astrologers are like, well, let's just give you a noon birth time and see how accurate it can be. Mm-hmm. So this question asks, after enduring while we're radically accepting ourselves. <laughs> enduring. And doing the work, how can we help contribute, extend this work outward to our community? And in parentheses, it says SF is crazy. (laughs) I mean, I'd never moved to a city where I was like, oh, everyone is an astrologer. Cool, cool. (laughs) I'd never had that experience before in my life. Um, I think, again, like, if, if if you're wanting to be like, how can I be of use in the world in a way that's going to disrupt harm and maybe even create spaces where healing and justice can occur then if you want to use your astrology as part of that, it's also, again, you can't remove yourself from that, like your whole thing. Like, where are you most useful? You have to start with yourself as a human first. And then looking at your chart, it's it's going to tell you the things that you'll be good at in in that sense. And so how how can you apply that to the work that you want to do? Mm -hmm. It's that combination. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, when people are born at the same exact time, place, date, yeah. Yeah. do they yield the same birth chart? If so, what signifies their uniqueness? Yeah. Yeah. How they live it out. You have a chart. It's like showing me that you're in San Francisco. It's not Paris. You know, it's not, it's not a lot of other cities. I know you're here. I know the weather. I know the da-da-da. I know some the landmarks. But you make the choice of how you move through the city or it's your personal experience of how you do that. So even if you have the same, you do have the same exact birth chart. I've read. So I read someone who was married to a guy who had the same birth chart as me, basically. It wow. was bananas. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I have too much insider information. <laughs> To be completely, like, you know, neutral about this. And I was like, well, when he gets really moody, this is what you need to do. (laughs) She was like, actually, yeah. Uh, So it was bizarre, but you do. And, you know, he's a very different person than I am, doing a lot of different things. But there was a lot of similarities Mm -hmm. between us. Wow. As as she said. 
That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's a question. My wife is about to have her Saturn return. How oh. do I prepare for this? Yikes. <laughs> Have you had your Saturn return? Yes? The person that asked the question has already had their Saturn return? Okay, that's, that makes all the difference. But So when I met my wife, <laughs> I was well beyond my Saturn return and even like almost post-Saturn. I feel like we should board. know what Saturn return means. Oh, sorry. sorry I don't sorry. actually know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to be honest. So it happens around the time of 27 to 30. It's when Saturn comes back to the same place when you were born. And it's usually a time of distinguishing self from childhood, from teenagehood, from family systems that don't really work for us anymore. It's like a really important time to come into our own sense of authority and discipline and integrity and to maybe divest from the things that we're still like getting support or energy from a thing that keeps us a little infantilized or not quite fully in ourselves. So it's like, grow up, kid, yeah, from the universe. Time to grow up. Um, you're not so cute anymore. You can't get away with that. You know, you're not 22 anymore. <laughs> Bills and death are around the corner. Um, so. <laughs> now I understand the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it can be a bit of a crisis point. And it really, like when, again, when I, when we met, she was about to go into her Saturn return. I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> like, I already lived through mine and everybody else that I knew. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be immense. But it's really about how you show up for it. Like, if, you, if your partner is willing and, like, super down to grow up and have that sense of agency and responsibility and ownership of the messes and the triumphs, equal parts, then... It's going to be great. Yeah. Depends on where it's happening in the chart and what's happening in the person's life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's like you, you mature, which is like, it's hot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it'll be great. <laughs> How do you reconcile the parts of your chart that are in conflict, in contradiction, that feel all true and unsustainable at the same time? Oh. Uh, how do we do life, basically? I know. Yeah, Tell us. how? I don't know. I'm supposed to know. <laughs> I think you just, you, you have to learn how to honor the different parts that are in conflict. And you could say that without astrology, right? Like the part of you that wants freedom, the part of you that wants commitment, the part of you that wants a burger at 4 a.m., the part of you that doesn't want to wake up. <laughs> with a bellyache, you know, like all that stuff. You have to like be like, I see, I witness all these parts of me and I witness the tension. But the good thing about like squares in your chart where things are in conflict is it gives you energy and it really does get you to move out of discomfort. And so there is a way in which the discomfort that is present in your life can be that motivating factor if it doesn't feel like it's too aggravating. So if we can move from like how to quell or quiet or cool the system down from aggravation, just enough to get into action, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe we just also live with a lot of contradictions. Live, you, yeah. 
Yeah. It makes us interesting. It does. Um, here's a question. I'm going to sort of ask it and also a- add on. Yeah. Um, it says, what is your forecast for 2020? Oh, God. <laughs> but here's what I would, I would reframe that. Yeah. To say, what do, you, what do you see the planets doing? Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was helpful. <laughs> I was trying to make it nicer. <laughs> what have you seen so like, far? Well, I'm t- <laughs> it's not a great year to be an astrologer. <laughs> really? Yeah, because it's really hard astrology. Oh. But you don't need an astrologer to tell you that we're in a really important moment in history. Like, you don't need an astrologer to be like, 2020 sounds intense. (laughs) (laughs) Planets confirm it. (laughs) That's my prediction. (laughs) What do you do with that when people ask you for sort of predictions and decisions? And, you know, how do you, like, let people know? Well, I think, like, one of the things that's happening later in the year is a big old Mars retrograde. It's going to be happening at the same time as a Mercury retrograde in the beginning of November. So I don't know if (laughs) that time of year seems important to you. (laughs) I wouldn't plan a party. Um, No, no, I'm not saying that, but I am saying... That Mars retrogrades, there was a Mars retrograde also in 2016. Uh, (laughs) Get ready, y'all. And what happened in 2016, among many things, also other different astrology was happening in 2016, so you can't just say, like, this is that, but is that the real, like, inciting of anger and violence and separation and that... Um, inflammation was just really stoked and highlighted. And Mars is a planet of heat and inflammation and anger and is the warrior, so is also that kind of warring kind of feeling. And so for us to be able to engage in personal collective work that is about addressing harm harm caused, mm. harm received, anger, hostility, like wh- where? And this is, for some of you, this question won't be pertinent. For me, it is. Where is my bitterness? Where is my hostility? Like if I'm really honest with myself, where do I feel like I have the right to be that self engrossed or inflamed or what have you? And for me, besides there's the organizing, there's the doing all the things that we want to do and need to do. And then I think as we're all having these conversations in our communities is to be like, how do I address that internally? Mm -hmm. It can't all be out, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's got to also be in. So what do I do with my rage? Mm -hmm. And that might not seem like a good answer, but at certain times beyond all the outer work that we do, I think that's all we can do. And that is where our power is also, Mm -hmm. to be aware of the most challenging parts of ourselves um, in the midst of doing the work that we need to do in the world. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. 
So there's also like the end of a big, huge 200-year cycle and the beginning of a new one. (laughs) So it's it's important how we go out and how we begin the next one. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's all good. (laughs) Just going to have a pizza and some ice cream all the night. Um, But I think we have to keep it small mm -hmm. and always in the moment. Mm -hmm. And how am I showing up for this day Mm -hmm. in this moment? So for me, with the book tour, it's like, how can I be the most present Mm -hmm. in the moments that I'm having with people before, during, after? Mm -hmm. Because we just don't know anything else. You know, like we can look at predictions and all of that. But the only moment we have is here and now. And this is where agency is. And this is where healing can happen. Yeah. And all the other good things. Makes sense. Yeah. So there's two more questions and then we're going to wrap the night. You're free to go home. And to Portland <laughs> and say all these great things about Portland. Um, uh, <laughs> Give me tips. Okay. Yeah, no, it's from Portland. Um, so just what's, like, what's on your mind? What's next for you? Like, what, what's happening in Chani land? Oh, goodness. Um, thinking about, like, next steps with the work. So, again, the book's an intro, and then thinking about how we can add on to it and help you. And so we built that online tool, and we're, you know, planning some really exciting things in terms of how to keep putting, layering on information in a way that's digestible and accessible. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. And then, like, is there anything that, you want to say that we didn't talk about? Like, is there anything that you're like, I want to say more about this or? No. No. You're good. You're done. I think we did it, right? We did. Did we do it? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrer at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast.